Welcome to the Arts and Antique Radio Show, where your host, nationally recognized certified appraiser Elizabeth Stewart, Santa Barbara's treasure sleuth, will help you put a value on the treasures in your own home. Every time it rains, it rains pennies from heaven. Don't you know each cloud contains pennies from heaven? So let's find out. How valuable is it? Hello, 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 Santa Barbara. It's your Chantress of Everything Valuable and Beautiful, Elizabeth Stewart. And I'm really excited to speak with a wonderful scholar. Uh, We were just before the show went on the air thinking about this. Uh, Dr. Peter Sturman mounted a show called The Artful Recluse, Painting Poetry and Politics in in 17th Century China. Uh, which won the Alfred H. Barr Jr. Award for Museum Scholarship. I attended that show and I brought friends numerous times. And then I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Sturman on the radio show. And we were just remarking, trying to think, oh, that was 2012. And so Dr. Sturman is back with me today to talk about a one day only lecture series called Flowers, Gardens, and Self-Reflection in Chinese Painting. This is on January 6th at the museum, at the Art Museum, San Barbara Art Museum of Art. And he's convening a number of the top scholars in this field. Uh, And we talk about some of the lecture topics that will go on um, on that one day. So if you're interested in a really different way of looking at the relationship between art and nature and text, uh, I think this would be a real eye-opener. I know the um, Artful Recluse for me, Dr. Sturman, was an eye-opener because it was like, this is a different concept. This isn't how, you know, in college in the 80s, I learned art history. It was so different from that kind of approach. And um, and I want to talk about that too. Uh, but I want to introduce Dr. Sturman first. So Peter Sturman, uh, t- his, his area of, study is the text and image relationship in Chinese painting and calligraphy. Um, he focuses on the literati culture of Northern Song uh, and also published on landscape painting of the 10th and 11th centuries, court and loyalist art, and recently painting in the and calligraphy of the 17th century. I, as we're saying, I remember with great fondness seeing the 2012 exhibition at the Santa Barbara Museum of Art called The Artful Recluse, Painting, Poetry, and Politics in the 17th Century China. Um, His recent scholarship includes Shen Zhu's Falling Blossoms Project of the early 16th century. And he's part of a collaborative study of Zhu Wei, who lived from 1521 to 93, Ming Dynasty playwright, poet, calligrapher, and painter. Like I said, he will participate in this one-day lecture series at our museum on January 6th, the flowers garden self-reflection in Chinese painting. And so I guess, Dr. Sturman, thank you for being here, um, talking with us about this. What do you feel is the so the overriding contribution that a, a, a convening of this these scholars, what, what will it bring us? Oh, uh, well, well, first of all, I want to give credit to um, my colleague Susan 
Susan Tai at the the curator of Asian art at the Santa Barbara Art Museum. Yes. And she was the one who helped organize bringing this exhibition from New York uh, and was the major person kind of pushing to to have this kind of one day slate of papers. And this has been kind of Susan's uh, modus operandi. She likes to um, she feels it brings a, a proper kind of conclusion to an exhibition if we can bring in some experts uh, who can provide insights to some of the work in the in an exhibition, provide new dimensions to what the subject matter might be. And most people see exhibitions, they come, they visit, uh, they appreciate, they they like some pieces more than others. You know, everybody gets something else out of out of an exhibition. But very few people actually buy the catalog, I would say, or read further. Um, so I think, you know, to answer your question, this, you know, having a one day opportunity to listen to people who spend their most of their lives kind of studying these things really does open doors. It's, you know, it's like going to a, a good, a good lecture that, you know, brings you to, you know, insights and, and opens up a world that you didn't really know about before. Um, and that's that's the beauty of art history. I mean, we look at paintings and paintings are silent. They they don't talk and particularly Chinese paintings actually talk a lot and they have so much writing on them. But for the most part, we don't we can't read the the writing. Even contemporary Chinese people who are native speakers rarely can read the um, the kinds of texts that are written on them. So there's a lot there to be unpacked, and um, I think that's the the beauty of an exhibition like this, uh, and and a, the one day event. You know, we get an opportunity to to go a little bit deeper into some of the paintings and and further our appreciation. Just a dumb question. You mentioned that uh, a, a contemporary speaker of the language can't read the calligraphy on the works. Why is that? Uh, I would say, you know, in general, it all, of course, depends on the education level of of the individual uh, and to a certain degree, their age. And there are multiple reasons. But I mean, the, the most important one is that the language that it's not so much the characters, the characters can be read for the most part, though modern day Chinese uses tends to use simplified Chinese characters. So some some of the younger generation don't read the the older version of the characters that well. But I would say more importantly is the 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 language that's used. It's what we call classical Chinese, um, and it's it's quite different. It's a very literary Chinese or classical Chinese is um, it's just a different kind of language. So it it doesn't it it's uh, it's a very a highly educated form of communication uh, and. Um, tends to be very concise and abbreviated in, in many regards and uh, just less colloquial. So harder for modern modern people to understand. Could I, could I ask the, the more literary, literate, highly educated language that you're speaking about, is, is it, um, what, how, how do I want to put it? Is it, is it in abbreviated in content? Is it more analogous language? Is it more metaphorical? All of the uh, above. <laughs> all of the above. Okay, so it's more symbolic. Um, yeah, it just tends to be more concise. You have to kind of read into it. Um, some there's often there's a use of allusions. 
Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, citations and references. It's, it's a kind of a, it's almost like a secret language that, you know, if you're indoctrinated into it and you're trained to read it, um, you can read it fairly readily, you know, but it's a, it's kind of a, you know, it's a fairly elite form of communication, quite frankly. So can you give us, I know that, that you know, an English translation of, let's say, a line uh, to give an example of what this would have looked or sounded like. What it would sound like? Well, what it would, what, what it would feel like, what it would symbolize. What, so an example, like if I took a poem and I took a line out of a, you know, two roads diverged, let's say, that would be a way of saying, well, one has two choices in life and it broadens out in, in a way that is chronological, but also metaphorical, you know, this sort of thing. So if you, if you pick a line, for example, and, and tell us what that line is, and then maybe could you, Dr. Sturm, explain what it's, what it means? Sure. Uh, I can do that because I have on my computer here <laughs> a line that I was just kind of working with uh, to open my talk uh, next Saturday. Um, so this is the frontispiece to the the scroll by Bada Shanran called Flowers on a River. And it's Han Yen Dan Wo Ru Jian Qi Ren. So that's that's the 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 total number. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight characters. Uh, broken up four and four. Han yen dan wo. Okay, that's that's the tricky part. the The second half ru jian qi ren uh, is most. I think most people not can understand that in uh, contemporary Chinese. It's like seeing the person. That's what it means, literally, like seeing the person. Uh, Han yen dan wo. That's uh, cold mist, light ink like seeing the person. Okay. So that's the frontispiece that begins, that opens up this long, incredibly long hand scroll, written by the former president of China during the Republican period. Not not that long ago then. Not that long ago. But he was a very, uh, well, Bada Shanran himself didn't live, I mean, he lived... Relatively speaking, I mean, by American terms, he lived a long time ago, but in Chinese terms, you know, he was, you know, 17th century. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's, I think there, there's a lot to unpack just from that one line. Uh, first well, of all, me, the idea me... that somebody would add that as a, as a title and what that message kind of conveys, you know, using okay. this kind of poetic, Cold, evocative language to to in very concisely four characters: cold, mist, light, ink. You know, which more or less encapsulates what you see in the scroll. I mean, you don't see mist. You don't see mist, which is kind of interesting. But of course, there's lots of ink. Um, but it's so he's kind of reacting in a poetic way. Uh, to what he sees in the scroll. So let me see if I can try to get this get this right. Cold mist, 
light in cold as in temperature, mist as mm -hmm. in fog, light mm -hmm. uh, as in the light touch. Right. Not the light itself of the sun, but the light touch and then right. ink. Right. Uh, like seeing a person, the yeah. person, a specific exactly. thing. Okay. So when mist is cold, it hangs in the air in a very light way and it's always gray. And I would assume that the ink would be put on in a very light touch that would be also more close to the grisel, to the gray tones, than the strident, you know, black, black of the blackest ink. And therefore would evoke like a day like today uh, where it's misty and gray and there's no color in the air. Um, like seeing the person. It would be like seeing a person through the fog, not completely clear, but then again, you never know what you're seeing when you do look at a person. Well, that's a nice way of putting it. Um, but interestingly, the painting itself uh, doesn't really use, I mean, it uses some light ink, but it uses a lot of dark ink too. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's it's a. I think here light ink is more like I, the character for light can mean multiple things, uh, but it it fundamentally it means something like um, um, hmm, how to put it, um, kind of without over exaggeration. In other words, it's it's something it's somehow Thanks. speaks to the character of the person who's. Who has certain kind of substance and 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 rootedness and things like that. Um, so there's a there's a lot here. I mean, just in those four characters. And then in some ways, the other four characters are even more telling, Ruji and Shirenya. Uh, like seeing the person. So the very fact that the the person who wrote this looks to the painting and really feels like he can understand the person who, who did the painting is um you know really fundamental to much of chinese art and and the fact that this was the former president of the republic of china i find it very interesting i mean we think of presidents as uh, political figures and administrators uh maybe of some culture but not necessarily a lot um, but you know this guy uh he was hu Chang. he was a uh, he was a significant figure and he was the the teacher he was the the tutor um, of the the child emperor in the in the palace in the Qing dynasty, and uh, clearly this is a, a man of tremendous knowledge and understanding and and education, and he was a pretty good calligrapher too. You know, I'm just looking at this frontispiece and thinking, you know, I that's that's amazing that people could write like that. When we get back, Dr. Sturman, I want to ask you um, this line, <clears throat> like seeing the person. Uh, it, it is the is the poet saying like seeing the person that it, it that art art almost stands before the actual uh subject that when once you, people always say this once you see this film for example you can never quite look at real life the same way so the artifice stands in front of the of the quote unquote reality um and that brings up the nature of perception. Like this is really kind of, you say four characters. 
it's very deep, really. It um, is. Yeah. Richard, let's go to a quick break. And I want to say, um, Dr. Sermon gave us some really cool music. Uh, and you'll, you'll, you'll hear that um, as we go through the ins and outs of the breaks. And I love Come Rain or Come Shine. Absolutely love this. One of my favorite songs. Love it. Okay, don't turn that dial. <clears throat> we are talking about a one-day lecture series, Flowers, Gardens, Self-Reflection in Chinese Painting. It's happening at our museum at the end of the show that was hanging there. And this will be a consortium of great scholars who spend their life looking at this sort of art. January 6th, and they're flying in from all over the world. It's an amazing slate at our museum. And I understand from the, the public relations department, it's met with a lot of really great interest in the community. So um, if you're interested, you need to go on the museum's website and get your tickets right away. Uh, I'm speaking with one of the presenters, Peter Sturman, who is a professor at our own university, UCSB. And he's going to be joined by colleagues from all over, like I said, all over it, and great, great minds coming together. What a cool thing. Don't turn the dial back in a minute. professor at UCSB and studies, uh, well, text image relationships in Chinese painting and calligraphy. Uh, and the wonderful lecture that we're going to be treated with January 6th, it's a group of the greatest scholars in the field. And the title is Flowers, Gardens, Self-Reflections in Chinese Painting. And it's January 6th. And, and we're talking about something really interesting, the relationship. So let me give, go back and there's there's a, a scroll that was written by a very high up administration official in the Republic period in China, um, which is not that long ago in Chinese history, 17th century, but in our parlance, yes, it's, it's ancient. And Dr. Sturman was saying, look, the way that the frontispiece or the title uh, is is described by the by the poet slash artist is the just in four succinct characters. The characters are cold mist, light ink, cold mist, light ink, like seeing the person. And Let that's me, if I can... the introduction. If I can just correct you for a second, please. Uh, the, the that uh, eight character phrase was written by somebody in the early twentieth century, but the painting was by you know somebody totally different in the eighteenth, seventeenth century, the very very end of the seventeenth century. Right. So I think the Republic period is just I mean as recent as what is it nineteen is it twenty nineteen eleven it ended nineteen eleven uh, yeah nineteen eleven it started mm -hmm. yeah. So, so he's titling 
the scroll that was authored in the 17th century, Cold Mist Light Ink. And here's my question. I always thought that with calligraphy, it was just the the gradations of tonality were done with water, not by different colors of ink. In other words, my question is about the light ink. You mentioned the scroll is mostly dark ink. So why would this be, you know, entitled light ink? Wouldn't it be like a, a wash? So it, it is dark ink, but it's washed to gray, right? Or, yes. or no? Yeah. Yeah, it's... um. But like I mentioned earlier, the this character is is kind of a loaded term, light. That's just one translation of a number of possible meanings. Um, it's you know it's a it's a it really even ties into philosophical uh, concepts of uh, of of the, the the ideal quality of a scholar, somebody who is is harmonious and and uh, without you know, exacerbated, exacerbated, um, or exaggerated kind of action or words. So light ink is, um, you know, is, doesn't really apply if we're looking at the painting. I mean, it does have light ink in it, uh, but it also has dark ink, which everybody will see when they, unfortunately, the scroll is so long. It's, um, it fills all of the room and you, they have to, I, I, I believe they had to cut out, I'm not really 100% sure now, but I, I think they, in order to show the whole painting, they had to not show the frontispiece <laughs> or the long inscription that followed it by the artist. So that, that word light could actually mean suggestive or subtle. Yes. Like a cat's paw kind of. Yes. Delicately placed. Okay. And like seeing the person, like seeing the artist, right. like actually knowing who that artist was, the art would bring that the scholar in close proximity to that artist's personality. That's exactly right. Well, that is fantastic. That's the breakdown of we were, what we were trying to do, Richard, was trying to think how the relationship of the art and the, the words, how they mesh together and why you know, why it's so different in this scholarship than, for example, titling. I remember, Dr. Sturman, I remember I had on my committee for my dissertation, I had a native French speaker. My French is good enough. I could kind of understand his critique. Um, and he, instead of saying, like we would say in English, I'm reading your work, his comment to me, and I never forgot it was, I'm reading you. Hmm. And I right. thought that's so interesting because he's not, he does, it does, hasn't really, I, I mean, outside of the fact that we met in his office a couple of times, he doesn't really even know me. Right. But to read, to, to read, you know, 300, 400 pages of my writing, he's, I'm reading you. Hmm. And that's how it, how it is in French. So it's different. So the concept of those words is, you know, it's different than in English. But I, I'm so glad you broke these eight characters down. So it's four and four, right? right. The, okay. Right. And 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 showed us how this relates to the to give, give us another. Can you give us another example? This is so much fun. <laughs> uh, now you're uh, now you're challenging me. Um, 
Um, that's, uh, let's see if I can find something here quickly. Well, one of the um, one of the the beautiful works in the exhibition is um, a pair of paintings by Xu Wei, who's also going to be one of the um, one of the uh, the subjects the subject of one of the papers. Um, so let me see if I can. I think I have a translation of the the two poems that are on there. Okay, here we go. So this is, um, I wish I could show this to your audience, but they can see it if they see the exhibition. It's a, it's a really interesting painting um, of a fish, a carp, kind of leaping out of the water, but painted in, in such a way that it's, it's totally unconventional. I mean, your average person seeing the painting is not going to know that. Uh, but I mean, I've seen many fish paintings and I've never seen a painting quite like this. It looks very abstract. And this artist was uh, very, um, very eccentric. Um, he was also problematic as an individual. He suffered from from illnesses, um, including mental mental health issues. Um, but anyway, he was he was also brilliant, and um, so he wrote this this poem that goes together with this image of a fish, which looks literally like it had jumped out of the water and then was falling back on its back and splashing in the water. And it says, uh, cold fish stench fills the paper blown by a flapping thin breeze. White scales fly forth and the ink pond is empty. I truly hate this floating world for its many unseeing eyes. Who gets that its ordinary form was once that of a dragon? Say that one more time. Give us that poem one more time. It's pretty dense, I know. Cold fish stench fills the paper blown by a flapping thin breeze. That first line is so unusual. So he's, uh, and this is, he was, this, this particular artist was well known as a poet, and he was well known for his using very, you know, very uh, novel language. And he writes, cold fish stench. I've never seen that expression before. And I, I, I had to look up that character three times before I could figure out what he was saying. I mean, who writes about stench, the, the stench of a, of a rotting fish or something like that, or a raw fish? Cold fish stench fills the paper blown by a flapping breeze. And the flapping of the breeze is caused by the fins of the, of the fish that are flapping. White scales fly forth and the ink pond is empty. So he's bringing attention to the paper, he's bringing attention to the ink, he's bringing attention to his creation of the painting. And then he turns the poem back on himself and he says, I truly hate this floating world for its many unseeing eyes. Who gets that its ordinary form, in other words, the fish, was once that of a dragon? Okay, so he's, he's saying, in other words, that the fish is somebody who is like himself, who is, uh, whose talents are unrecognized. And he's become, he was worthy of being a dragon, but now is simply seen as an ordinary fish. So what I'm getting, Dr. Sturman, is, is, is a involvement of every human sense 
So mm. sight, smell, taste. Yeah. That's true. Um, uh, kinetic. Uh, there's also quality of movement. There's what do they call that when you see something and you see a color? Like a, my mom has that when she hears music, she sees a color and sees a number. Yeah, I, I, don't I forget know. what that's called, but it's when the brain has all these cross cross circuits. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's what that feels like. Like cold fish stench fills the paper. It doesn't fill the paper. It fills the nose. But in his case, he's the artist, and so it's therefore it's filling the paper. Right. Blown by flapping thin breeze. Well, the fish that he's portraying is just an image. It's not the real thing. So how can it do that? But on the same token, art stands before reality in a really obvious way. So, yeah, that's marvelous. White scales fly forth. Well, when you see a fish leap, you get the reflection of the scales, but you also see that in the negative space of the paper. So it's it's glaringly bright in between two dark lines. It, it's amazing. That's beautiful. Richard Richard's giving us a sign we have to go to quick break. This is just wonderful. I'm going to talk a little bit about what your paper is about. Okay. I know the title, but I want to know more when we get back from the break. Reintroducing, I'm talking with Dr. Peter Sturman, and I'm talking about his involvement in a one-day lecture series called Flowers, Gardens, Self-Reflection in Chinese Painting at our museum, where Susan Tai has convened many of the top, top scholars in this particular field to present papers in celebration of the exhibit that was, it's still there, but it's it's a, it's a t- t- tail end. So you have time to, to see that exhibit. We also have time to sign up for the lecture. Uh, don't turn that down. Back in a minute. Hey, Richard, let's go to quick break. It's Elizabeth Stern. I'm speaking with Dr. Peter Sturman, and we're talking about the concepts that will be brought up in a one-day lecture series at our art museum. Susan Tai has pulled together the most eminent scholars in the field to talk about flowers, gardens, and self-reflection in Chinese painting on January 6th. And I asked Dr. Sturman if he would talk to us a little bit about the paper that he was presenting. All the scholars are presenting their own papers. And so I asked Dr. Sturman, what is he going to talk about? Uh, well, I'm, uh, the, the, the title of my talk is Falling Flowers on a River, Contemplations of Nature and Mortality. So uh, this was kind of serendipitous. I, I 
previously had worked on um, a topic which you actually mentioned um, in introducing me uh, of an earlier artist by the name of Shenzhou who lived at the the very end of the kind of second half of the 15th century into the very beginning of the 16th century. And I discovered that um, there was a series of paintings that he did and poems called Falling Flowers, which um, I thought was very interesting. And nobody had really um, picked it up as a topic before. So I worked on this. This is already quite a number of years ago. Um, but it was a, it was a it was a great research topic. It, it proved to be have a lot of a lot of um, a lot of mileage. I got a lot of mileage out of it. Let me put it that way. Um, but it was very interesting. Now, Shenzhou is a very famous artist, one of the most famous in China. Uh, and uh, the falling flowers as a, as a theme uh, was related to his recognition of the fact that he was getting very old and he didn't have much more time left. Uh, and he he basically um, projected that into the image of of uh, flowers on fruit trees, plum and apricot, peaches, that unfortunately he missed because he was ill. So I mean, one of the seasonal pleasures for him was to to see in his garden, you know, the flowering of the trees. Uh, and by the time he was able to rise from being ill, the flowers had already fallen. Um, so he wrote a, a series of poems about this, and then after that, um, some of his students, his pupils, were very much encouraged by Shenzhou writing these poems, so they did what Chinese poets do, they, they rhyme the poems, which is a way of honoring the, the original author. You write your own poems, but use the same rhymes. Um, this is a kind of an elegant pastime. And then after his students did that, then Shenzhou felt obligated to then rhyme their poems. So it became this kind of self-perpetuating motor or engine uh, in which pretty soon you had pretty much everybody writing poems about falling flowers. And the whole nature of the project kind of changed over time. And uh, Shenzhou became very much aware of this and he was very self-conscious of the fact that here he was, somebody who should be nearing the end of his life, kind of competing with the younger generation to write better poems. So it's a kind of a, an interesting, you know, self-reflection on oneself as one grows older. He was almost 80 years old at this point. And um, anyway, there's, there's a lot in these uh, paintings and in the poems themselves, and even in the calligraphy for that matter. Um, and... I recognize that uh, the the centerpiece of the current exhibition, unfortunately, we don't have any Shenzhou paintings, so he, he could have been included in this exhibition. He, he should have, ideally, because he was a great painter of uh, flower and birds. Um, but nonetheless, um, Bata, the, the centerpiece of this exhibition is uh, this very, very long hand scroll that I, I described the four, the eight character frontispiece, right, uh, by Su Shi Chang. The paintings by Bada Shanren. And that's really the whole reason for this exhibition. I mean, the, the chance to bring this painting, this scroll, to Santa Barbara is, is very, very rare. It's one of the great paintings in the history of China. Um, very, very important. And um, it was worked on extensively um, by my wife, uh, who's a professor of Chinese art history at 
UCLA, Wei Shu Li. And in fact, if we go back to our 2012 exhibition, um, The Artful Recluse, uh, my wife, Wei Shu, uh, Dr. Li, I should call her, um, added a, uh, a scholarly article on Bada Shanren. And she focused on this particular painting, even though the painting wasn't in the exhibition. So in some ways, this is a kind of a follow-up to the 2012 exhibition. It's kind of like bring, bringing this one painting that ideally would have been in the 2012 exhibition here to Santa Barbara. And it really is a rare opportunity to see this painting. Uh, so it's just kind of serendipitous. But this particular painting is called Flowers on the River or Flowers on a River. And it it bears a lot of the same kind of ideas and concepts. It's followed by this very, very long poem, really a song that's very, very cryptic. Bada Shanran is a very difficult artist to understand because he wrote, the paintings are very approachable, but the, the, the poems that he added to his paintings, or in this particular case, a ballad that he composed, is very, very difficult to decode. Uh, and Huishu was able to do that. And when you do that, you know, all of the meanings in the painting kind of come out. And it proves to be very, in some ways, very similar to what Shenzhou did, you know, roughly 200 years earlier by reflections on mortality and the meaning of life. So I'm kind of pulling these two projects, uh, one which is my own research and one which is I'm kind of borrowing from my wife's. <laughs> uh, but it's very good scholarship and needs to be further promoted. Uh, to to talk a little and uh, shine a light on this particular painting in the exhibition. So two questions before we go to break. So Shenzo, uh, th this is the at the end of the end of the fifteenth or and the beginning of the sixteenth century. Okay, that's the falling flowers on a river. That's his. The, that's the work. His work. He and did then, a number. He did a number of paintings, but basically on the theme of falling flowers. And then later. Badashandra takes the mantle and writes poems to those paintings. Is that correct? Uh, I don't know if there's a direct connection. Okay. Because um, Badashandra doesn't mention anything about Shenzhou. But he certainly would have known about it because it was such a, you know, he didn't live that far apart in time. And it was such a, a well-known event in the kind of the culture of Suzhou, China in the 16th century. But, it, you know, before Shenzhou, the, this idea of falling flowers and particularly falling flowers that fall, blossoms falling on the river and the river carries them along. So flowers on a river, that's um, that that goes back much earlier. That goes back to ancient times in China, you know, as this kind of um, metaphor for the, the fragility of human life. You know, you mentioned that uh, just the second question, you mentioned that that. Um, the the poems that the the poet was creating um that we that, that his initial poems were rhymed by his by the younger generation etc and then in turn he rhymed poems to their poetry and you said he woke up and said wow i'm competing with the younger generation but on the same level you know i'm, I'm referencing your your show in 2012 where you know part of the of the of the elder's role is to mentor, and uh, it it would seem to me that this was a way of mentoring the younger poets. Oh yeah, he was just being humble. 
Oh, I see. Okay. All right. Well, we'll go to quick break on that break on that note. And you, you, dear listener, you get a sense of the richness of, of this material. Um, uh, listening to Dr. Sturman, how how elegant and how intricately woven the the text and the art and the calligraphy and the mood and the tenor uh, and the ages eras are and why this is a must-see or must-hear lecture series, January 6th at the museum. Okay, Richard, let's go to quick break. Welcome back. It's Elizabeth Stern, the great honor of speaking with Dr. Peter Sturman in regards to uh, a one-day lecture series that is going to take place uh, January 6th at our art museum. Susan Tai, curator, has pulled this together with the most eminent scholars. Uh, how many scholars are coming, Dr. Sturman? I think we're seven altogether. Yeah. So it includes some local personalities and or at least California personalities and, um, but people from all over. Is your wife coming? She is. She's giving, she's speaking. She's speaking. We, we've got the, the papers presented in more or less chronological order. It's, it's an interesting setup because the, the guest of honor in many ways is my former professor, Richard Barnhart, who he, in 1984, he did a, a, a very important exhibition at the Metropolitan Museum in New York called Peach Blossom Spring, which was all about gardens and bird and flower painting. It was very successful, and, and it was the first real exhibition that showed the potential for this subject matter to be used in, in very intricate ways, and and it was, uh, it was it was lovely. And so when this exhibition came, you know, was scheduled to come to Santa Barbara. Huishu and I, Huishu was also, my wife, was was also a student of Dick Barnhart's. So we recommended that uh, that Susan invite invite him. He's he's uh, up there in age. He's almost 90 years old. So I'm a little bit surprised that he's coming, but uh, very happy. And he's going to be coming. And he also did, uh, you know, it's very, you know, very appropriate because he also did he and a former professor of ours named um, Wang Fang Yu, Fred Wong, um, arranged an exhibition of Badashanren, the, the same artist who did this long scroll. And uh, that that exhibition was at Yale in uh, around 1990 or 1989, something like that. I forget the exact date. So that was also a landmark exhibition. So uh, Dick Barnhart was very much involved with the um, with uh, birds and flowers, and then uh, Badashanren. So it was very, I'm, and I'm sure that's the reason why he accepted this invitation. He wants to see this painting. And then after uh, Richard Barnhart, we have a bunch of students of his. Huishu is a student of his. She's talking about um, 
interesting painting um, of a garden in the of the 13th century. Um, so that's a little bit outside of the scope of this exhibition, but it will help provide context to the general theme of bird and flower painting and gardens in particular. And then, uh, then I give my talk on, uh, which will be on, as I mentioned, falling flowers on a river, contemplations of nature and mortality. Then Stephen Little, who's the, um, the curator of Chinese art and the head uh, of the Chinese, Korean and South and Southeast Asian art departments at LACMA. He's giving a talk about um, paintings as they were collected at the Qing Dynasty court related to the subject matter of flowers and birds. We have, um, so Stephen was also a student of Dick Barnhart's. And then we have another student, former student of Dick Barnhart's, Shoujur uh, Yen or Yen Shoujur. Uh, who's going to be talking about Xu Wei, the, the same artist whose poem about the fish I just read. Uh, so he's uh, he's coming. And then we have two students. Um, one is my student and one is a student of Hui Xu's, uh, who are recently minted PhDs. Uh, Hui Xu's student a little bit earlier. Uh, and you know, we have to we have to say goodbye. But one more shout out: this lecture series is the sixth of January, so do not delay. Go to the museum's website and get your tickets. Dr. Sturman, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you.